Good morning, River Rock Bible Church. How's everybody doing this morning? We are so glad that you guys are here. My name is Charlie Turner. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at River Rock. And if you're just joining us for the first time or for the first time in a while, we are in the middle of a series, as you saw, called Bless. And we're talking about ways that we can bless the people around us. And uh, we saw last week that we begin with prayer. And this morning, as we continue our series, we're going to talk about two things, actually. We're going to talk about one that's our favorite thing to do and one that is our least favorite thing to do. Uh, and so if you are here this morning as a Christ follower, I hope that you will uh, pay attention and that you will join us because we understand that as followers of Jesus, as those who have been saved by Jesus, that we're called to follow him and join him on mission. Uh, if you're not a Christ follower this morning, if you've yet to put your trust in Jesus Christ, we are so glad that you are here this morning. And I believe that as you listen in, that this morning you'll hear about why we are so in love with Jesus about why we choose to dedicate our lives to following him and living in obedience to him because you're going to see some special things about Jesus uh, and his love for us and for his people. So this morning, as we continue, uh, I, I want us to just look at, um, at our vision statement here at River Rock Bible Church. Our vision statement is this, that, that we would be able to reach every man, woman, and child with the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. Our desire here at River Rock is that every single person here in Georgetown and around the world would have the ability to hear the gospel and get the chance to respond to it. Um, one of the things that we say often is that it takes every man, woman, and child to reach every man, woman, and child. This is not something I can do by myself. It's not something that I can do with the staff and the elders. It's going to take every single one of us who's a follower of Jesus invested in doing our part on this mission to share the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ with those around us. And uh, I, I know some of you are thinking, man, that sounds great. I would love to be a part of that, but I have no idea what to do. And that's exactly why we're going through this series is because we want to teach uh, uh, what does it look like for us to enter into this? Uh, what does it look like for us to be a part of this? Because we know that the greatest blessing that we have, the greatest gift that we have received is the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, his love, that life-changing reality that happens when we put our trust in him. And so if we're going to bless the people around us, that is the number one thing that we can share with them. Uh, we saw in the first week that we're not just receivers of blessing, that we're actually dispensers of blessing, that God blesses us and we actually get the fullness of joy of experiencing that blessing when we pass it on to other people. And that's, that's very true when it comes to our salvation. Uh, and so we, we see this with our blessed practices. And just so we can, um, we can remind ourselves of that, let's walk through these very quick. Last week, we saw that we begin with prayer. We just begin praying, God, today, would you let me be a blessing in someone else's life? And I had the chance this, this past week, I meet with each of our staff members um, every week, and we just kind of have one-on-ones, and I, I just find out from them, hey, tell me what's going on in your ministry. What do you need from me? How can I help you? Um, here's, here's some things that we need to work on. And um, during that time, I was meeting with Mason, and I, it's, it's extremely informal. That sounds kind of formal, but it's extremely informal. And so I was like, hey, bud, I got to run to the grocery store, get some stuff, because it's my night to cook dinner, and I need to, to grab some stuff. So why don't you come with me, and we'll just do this as we're going along, as we're walking along. And so I said, but before we go, why don't we pray that God would give us the chance to bless someone while we were there? So we just stopped, and we prayed, and, and we said, all right, we're going we're gonna to listen to the Holy Spirit. What is he doing? 
And sure enough, I was, I was thinking like, okay, you know, I've prayed this before and nothing happens. But as we're walking in, there's this poor young man, probably 17, 18 years old, uh, who's the cart wrangler, right? And what a great job to have in the middle of summer um, in this beautiful fall weather that we're having. Um, and so he's working hard. He's doing the best he can. And like there's zero carts uh, very few carts available, and the ones that are available are all the way down at the end. And this guy walks up to him and is like reaming him out like, the carts are supposed to be at the line. Why aren't the carts at the line? I shouldn't have to walk all the way down there. And he's like, man, I'm doing the best I can. I'm sorry. You know, very respectful. And Mason and I walk in, and I was like, so what do you think about that? He said, man, I think, think we should maybe find that guy and pray for him before we leave. So we did. We waited we're like standing there by the door, got my groceries, I'm just hanging out, and this poor young man comes walking up, and he's dragging carts, and I was like, hey, I just want to let you know we saw what happened earlier, and I just want you to know we see that you're doing a great work, um, that you're working hard, and uh, can, can we just pray for you? And we just had the chance to pray for him as we walked away and, uh, you know, ask him, I just said, you know, tell me, man, what's, what's going on in your life? How can we pray for you? Um, and he shared with us that we could pray for his family and um, just the people around him. And so it was just a cool opportunity to bless someone, but it all started with us asking for the opportunity to be a blessing to someone else. And so we began with prayer. This morning, as I said, we're going to talk about two of our favorite things. Now, when I mentioned this to the elders, one of them said, we're going to talk, you know, I said, one of them's our least favorite thing and one of them's our favorite thing. And he said, oh, we're going to talk about tithing and sex. And I said, I said, no. We're going to talk about listening and eating uh, this morning. So we're going to talk about listening. How do we listen to people uh, in a way that lets them know that we care about them? And then we're going to see how eating together uh, can actually develop that relationship. And then our last two are that we serve with love and that we share our story and God's. Right? So we serve with love when we share our story and God's. But this morning I want us to start by looking at the life of Jesus. And we're going to see... Uh, as I said, one is our least favorite, and the other is our favorite thing to do. So we're going to start with our least favorite thing, which is to listen with care. And we're going to see some things from the life of Jesus, from his interaction uh, with a man that's going to teach us a lot about what does it look like for us to listen. And if you want to join me, we're in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 35. It says, As he drew near Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what this meant. Jesus, the Nazarene, is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. All right, so Jesus is on his way out, up to a festival. He's, he's headed out to a big celebration, and he's got to go through Jericho. And as he's coming through Jericho, there's a blind man who's sitting there. Now, uh, this is a very busy way that people would be going towards Jerusalem to celebrate. And so this guy, like, if you're going to panhandle, you want to be where the people are. So he's sitting there by the road. He's blind. He's begging. And he hears that Jesus is coming, and he knows who Jesus is. And so he begins to call out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, what happens next, we're going to see that there is a big difference between those who are following Jesus and Jesus' response to this man. Uh, and, and what we're going to see is that Jesus, like, like a mother who turn, tunes in to the cries of her child, Jesus tunes in to the, to the voice of this man who's hurting in his life. We're going to compare that with his followers. 
Let's continue in verse 39. It says, Then those in front of him told him to keep quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he drew near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? So Jesus' followers, his disciples who are going ahead of Jesus, this man is crying out and he's saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples are saying, shut up. This is inappropriate. You are not on Jesus' agenda today. He's got somewhere that he needs to be. Like, this is totally inappropriate for you to be crying out like this. But what does Jesus do? Jesus says, hey, bring that, bring that man to me. And then he says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? He goes on, and he, we read this, verse 41. It says, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. I want to see. Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has healed you. Instantly he could see, and he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Now, if we're not careful, we're going we're gonna to miss some things here. Number one, we see when Jesus heals this man, it's validation of his special power that he has. That he validates that he is the son of God. That he simply says, be healed. Receive your sight. And the man is healed. That's an amazing story. It's an amazing testimony to the power that Jesus has. To the reality that he is the son of God who died for our sins and rose from the dead. But if we're not careful, we miss something extremely important. So I want us to look back at just a couple verses. I want us to go back to verse 40 and 41. The man has been crying out. And in verse 40, it says, Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he drew near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus, are you blind? Like, are you the blind one? Can you not see that this man is blind? Why do you even ask? What do you want me to do for you? And this is what I think separates Jesus from many of his followers. That Jesus doesn't assume that he knows what this man wants. Jesus doesn't assume that he knows what this man needs. He asks the question and he takes the time to listen to him. He takes the time to say, I see you. I see you as someone who's created by God. And I want to hear from you. What do you want me to do for you? And this is what separates Jesus from many people who follow him today because you see, most of us, uh, when we enter into a conversation with someone who's far from God, we go into that conversation with our minds already made up about what this person needs because we know what they need. And so we have an idea of how the conversation needs to go. And so when we sit down, we don't sit down to listen. We sit down to prepare to preach. And people feel the difference. Jesus asks the question, what do you want me to do for you? And in fact, this question that he asks is a, is a deeply gospel question. He doesn't assume to know what this man needs. It's a, it's a question that says, I see you. I see you and I value you. You are a person who has values, who is valuable to the Lord. So let me listen to what you have to say. I heard about a group of missionaries that were in uh, a, 
a slum in India. They were assigned to this slum in India, and they were really excited about all the things that they were going to do because they'd been well-funded by, by people back here in the States. And so they go and they start talking to the people and they say, we want to build schools, we want to build a hospital, we want to build all these things, we want to build you a church. And the people were just disinterested. Like they didn't care. And so the missionaries began to believe that these people just didn't value anything at all. So finally they stopped and they asked, well, look, you guys don't seem interested in this stuff. What do you want? They said, we want a mailbox. A mailbox? Why do you you want a mailbox? And as they listened, what the missionaries began to understand was that in India, it doesn't matter how large your city is, it doesn't matter how large your village is, if you don't have a zip code in a mailbox, you're not recognized by the government. And so you can't get things like water and electricity provided to your village by the government. All the things that would have been needed for the hospital and for the schools. And so it was only then that they began to realize that they, they hadn't listened. They assumed they knew what the people wanted. They assumed what the, they knew what the people needed. But when they stopped to listen, they began to understand. And that's what we see with Jesus, that he takes the time to listen to this man. When we stop to listen to people, we find out what's really going on in people's lives. And then we find the place that we can connect with them. And so we see that Jesus heals this man. He says, what do you want me to do for you? As I mentioned, this is a deeply gospel question. It's at the heart of the gospel that we would understand that when we go into a conversation and we just start preaching at people and we've not taken the time to listen to them, that we're actually separating ourselves from, from the gospel. Because the gospel says that I see you because God saw you. God saw you. He saw your need, and so he sent his son, Jesus Christ. So when we sit down with those who are far from God, it's so important that we listen to them. Because when we don't, all we're doing is preaching at them. We're preaching at them, and we're assuming that we know exactly what they need. And so often, that turns people away. We miss the essence of the gospel, and we, we, we miss the reality of being able to say that I see you because God sees you. And as someone who is on mission with God, I see you and I see your value. And you are valuable to the heavenly father so much so that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. We've got to be willing to take the time to stop and to listen. Uh, Jesus was, was really good at listening. In fact, uh, we see he, he's really good at asking questions. Throughout the New Testament, we see that Jesus asked 307 questions. He was asked 187 questions. He only answered directly three questions, right? Jesus took the time to stop and ask questions. I think most of us in America today, we probably we probably ask three questions and we answer 307 that nobody was asking, right? Like, because if we got an opinion, we, we just give it. Like, here's my opinion. I'm just going to give it to you. And, and Proverbs, as uh, Solomon actually calls this foolishness. Let's look at Proverbs 18. It says, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his own opinions. Sound like Facebook, Twitter, anybody? 
right? How many of us sit down and we just can't wait? Like, I've got an opinion. Everyone needs to hear it. We're not even asked a question. We've got to take the time to stop and listen and ask good questions because that's where we really begin to hear. When we ask questions, we begin to hear where the Holy Spirit is already at work in someone's life. We begin to hear where the Holy Spirit is already at work in, in someone else's life. Now, I think it's interesting that in America, we are not very good at listening. Like really listening. For, for most of us, we define listening as this. Listening uh, is slightly paying attention uh, while I form my argument of how I'm going to respond to the other person. Right? It's the art of doing this. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, I'm thinking about what I'm already going to say. We don't actually stop to listen. We're just thinking about how we're going to respond. And what we see is that Jesus takes the time to listen. And I love this man's response. He says, Lord, I want to see. Now what he's not saying is, Jesus fix my eyes, although that, that would be required for him to be able to see. But what he's saying is, I want to be able, I, I don't want to just be fixed by you, I want to be transformed by you. I'm not looking for, for just a prayer that I can pray to, to be healed. He's, he's saying, I'm looking for my whole life to be transformed. And so as Jesus sees this man, he has compassion on him because he sees the heart of this man and he understands that he's not just looking for a quick fix, but he's looking for transformation, which is way more powerful than just having his eyes open. This would be transforming his life. It would be life-changing for this man to receive his sight. Many of us, when we sit down with someone else, we simply want them to pray a prayer. We just think, hey, I know how to fix your life. If you'll just do these things, and we lose sight of the reality that what's really needed is life transformation. It's life transformation. Now, most of us, we say, all right, Jesus was good at asking questions, which helped him to listen, but I have no idea. Like, I'm not good at asking questions. Well, yes, you are. Uh, and, and it's very simple to learn. In fact, I, I want to show you this very quickly. Um, we all have a past, we have a present, and we have a future. And so as we look at this chart, we can just kind of think of, uh, in our past, we all have joys and we all have hurts. So we can start simply by asking something like, hey, what was something that was really meaningful to you or that meant a lot to you from your childhood? What was something that brought you great joy as a kid? Or on the other side, what was something that was really hard for you as a kid? Like people are willing to talk about that. They love talking about themselves, right? People love, and it's, it's something that everybody's an expert on. So we ask them about their past. We can ask them about their present. Hey, what's going on in your life right now that's really important to you? Or you really want to get them talking. Uh, what's going on around you that's really frustrating to you? Like, what frustrates you? And just be prepared to listen, right? They're going to have a lot to say about that one. Or we ask them about their future. Hey, what are your dreams? Like, when you see yourself in the future, what makes you excited about the future? Or what are you afraid of about the future? What scares you about the future? And then we just sit and we listen. We just listen to how they respond. And I promise you, if you'll just take the time to ask a good question and sit back and listen, that you'll hear where the Holy Spirit is already at work in their lives. Now, last week, uh, I shared with you the Frank list, right? Um, friends, relatives, 
acquaintances, neighbors, and co-workers. Now, I know a lot of you are wanting to add an E on here because you're not good with Frank. Uh, you want it to be a France list. Well, I just want to let you know that uh, that E, adding that E on there, you may have enemies in any one of these categories. Like, you are probably got enemies spread throughout there, so it doesn't need to be a separate category because they're probably spread throughout there. So it's the Frank list, and so we just think through, who are my friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, and coworkers? And I would challenge you this week to spend some time praying, God, who is it in these relationships that I need to spend time investing in and just listening to their story, just listening to them? that I could get to know them on a deeper level, right? So can, can we commit to doing that this week as a church family, that we would take the time to listen to someone else? Who is it that we can invest in this week um, just by listening, right? So that's, that's our least favorite thing to do is listening. Now let's talk about our favorite thing to do, which is eating, right? The second thing we're going to see is that we can bless people just by eating together, just by eating together. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. And we're going to see another story from Jesus' life where we see him sharing a meal with someone else. Matthew 9, starting in verse 9. It says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he got up and followed him. Now let me give you a little bit of background on the tax collectors. At this time, the nation of Israel was occupied by Roman rule. That means there were Roman soldiers going up and down the streets, uh, and they were in control, and they were kind of the, the servants. The Israelites were the servants to the Roman people. They served them. Now, what the Roman government would do is they would hire local people to be the tax collectors to bring in the money for the Roman government. Now, often these people were viewed as traitors, because they're working for the occupiers. And on top of that, Rome didn't care uh, how much they charged. As long as Rome got their money, then they didn't care. So these people would overcharge their own people for the taxes so that they could make a profit, that they could get extremely wealthy and rich. So here's a man who is an outcast from society. He's hated by his own people. He's a traitor. And Jesus says, come follow me. Now, what I love about this is that we don't read that, that Matthew went to seminary. He didn't go get his life together. He just gets up and he begins following Jesus. He didn't need a special degree to begin following Jesus. So Matthew, the tax collector, begins following Jesus. And as we go on, it says, while he was, he, he's then invited uh, to a party at Matthew's house. And Jesus goes to this party. It says, while he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came as guests to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Now, if you're an outcast, if you're a traitor, if you're a known sinner, who comes to your party? Who comes to your party but other outcasts, other sinners? And when the scripture uses this word sinners, now what we have to realize is that we are all sinners, but when it puts this label of sinners on people, what it's actually saying is these are people who, whose lives are so far from God that they have basically said, you know what, I'm just not even going to try. When it comes to the Old Testament law, my life is so far outside of that that I'm just not even going to try. I don't care anymore. And so they're, they're labeled as sinners. Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well don't need a doctor, 
but the sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We see very clearly in this story that Jesus eating with these people becomes a great scandal. The Pharisees, who consider themselves to be righteous, uh, see Jesus eating with these tax collectors and sinners, and they can't even fathom Jesus eating with them. They're coming and they're asking this question, essentially saying, Jesus, why are you with these people? It looks like you're condoning their lifestyle. And Jesus responds. He says, I've not come for the healthy. I've come for the sick. Imagine a doctor who wouldn't see patients because they were sick. She couldn't do her job. He couldn't do his job. If the doctor said, I'm not going to see sick people, and Jesus is saying, I have come for those who are in need, those who are far from God, I have come to be with them so that they might be drawn into relationship with them. We see them eating together in this, it's a deeply personal and relational experience. And the Pharisees, for those of you who aren't, aren't aware, the Pharisees were, were like uh, the ones who knew the law. These are the, the uber-religious people. Like, let's just take the word Pharisee out. Just think about the people who are completely devoted to doing God's will and making sure they got it right. Those are the Pharisees. And Jesus, I love his response to them. At the very end, he says, go learn what this means. Now, the Pharisees would have had the entire, much of, of the Old Testament memorized, at least the first five books and a, a big chunk of the Psalms and the prophets, and they would have known this phrase. Notice he doesn't say, go learn this. He's not giving them a new teaching because they would have, no, they would have been well aware of that phrase, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, used throughout the Old Testament. They would have known that. But Jesus says, go learn what this means. Go understand what it means because the Pharisees were really good uh, at at knowing the law. They knew what they were supposed to do. They would have known all about the sacrifices. They would have known what time of day the sacrifices were were given. They would have known what was done with the sacrifices after they were given, why they were given, and how they were given. They would have known all of that. But what they didn't know, they didn't know how to love people who were different from them. They didn't know how to love people who didn't fit their paradigm. And so Jesus says to them, go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. How many of us, how many of us make the mistake of thinking, well, I know what God's word says and I'm in God's word every single day and I spend time praying and I I do the things, all the things that I know I need to do to make my relationship right with God. But we don't know how to relate to people who are far from God. And so when Jesus says, I've not called to come the righteous, but sinners, he's not saying that the Pharisees are righteous. He's not saying that. He's not saying that these other people are so terrible that they should, they're the only ones that he's come for. What he's saying is that if you are going to be my follower, you will spend time with people who are far from God. If you are going to be like me, if you're going to be on mission with me, it means you must be with those who are far from me. If as followers of Jesus, if Jesus' purpose in coming was to restore relationship with people who are far from God, that was his mission. 
If we are not doing that, if we're not engaging with those who have yet to come to know Christ as their Savior, then we are not on mission with Jesus. We're not. That's just the reality of it. That's just the reality of it. Now, I want to challenge you. Think back over the last month. Think back over the last month. Think about your calendar. Think about your calendar over the past month. Can you think of a time that you intentionally spent time with someone who's far from God? That you invested in that relationship? I know it's a challenge. I know it's hard. Our our calendars are busy. Uh, But I want to just challenge us to think over that. Because if we're not spending time with those who, who don't know Jesus, then we're not on mission with Jesus. We can't say that we're following him if we're not doing what he did. I love this quote. It's from a book called Right Here, Right Now, written by Alan Hirsch and Lance Ford. It says, Sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. We can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. I like these guys. Like, I like what they're saying. This sounds good to me. If every Christian regularly invited one stranger or poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. Sign me up. Sign me up for that. Just think about sharing one meal with one person. We average about 125 people here on Sunday morning, 125 adults here at River Rock Bible Church. Now just think, if every single one of us made the commitment out of the 21 meals that we eat every single week, we just shared one meal with someone who doesn't know Christ. In one year, let's say we're not perfect, we don't do it 52 weeks out of the year, but we do it 40 weeks out of the year. In one year, there would be 5,000 people in Georgetown who will have sat across and shared a meal with someone who knows Jesus Christ and cares about them. 5,000. That means if this church were to stay the same size, which we know it's going to continue to grow if the city were to stay the same size, in 16 years, every man, woman, and child in Georgetown would have had the opportunity to sit down across from someone who knows Jesus Christ and cares about them. Every man, woman, and child? Could we do that? Could we do that? You bet yourself we could. (laughs) We could do that in our lifetime Maybe not Jerry's, uh, but no, I'm, Jerry, I'm joking. I love you, Jerry. 16 years, we could do that. Think about it, just one meal. Now I know some of you are saying, well, I, I, I don't have time for this. Like, I, I don't understand. Well, you got to eat, don't you? You can't eat all your meals, fast food in the car. Like, you will not look good. That will not be healthy. You've, you eat meals. What does it look like to just invite someone in and say, hey, come, come eat with me? Share a meal with me. And some of you are saying, well, well, I would love to do that, but I don't know how to cook. Great, order in. Order in. Well, I would do that, but cleaning my house, you know, it just that seems overwhelming. Great, go out to eat. Go out to eat. There's a way if you want to. There's a way to share one meal a week with someone who's far from God if you want to. Um, this is something that my wife and I have done um, for a long time, and it's been a part of our life. We have uh, what we call invite night at our house, and uh, it's gotten to the point where the kids, like when we ask them to clean, they're like, who's coming over? I'm like, we can actually clean the house 
when people aren't coming over. Like, it would be nice if it was actually clean, but they, they just assume, like, oh, if the house is clean, that means somebody's coming. But we have invite night about once a week, and we invite people to come over, and uh, we don't always get it right. Uh, I remember the time we invited our neighbor over, and I was really excited because uh, it was deer season. I'd just gotten a deer back from the processor. We were going to make some, it was either deer chili or spaghetti sauce with deer meat. And he shows up with his family, and uh, there we are, and uh, he says, I'm vegan. I'm like, oh, great. Uh, pay no attention to the antlers back behind you. Um, so we've, we've made plenty of mistakes uh, there was the time that we invited our gay neighbors over, and they didn't know that I was a pastor. And they found out that I was a pastor, and they immediately, like, I could feel the tension in the room. But we just listened to them. We just listened and began to develop a relationship. And I'll never forget, it, we, we'd had them over for a block party, and they emailed later that afternoon, and they said, we just want to thank you for having us. They said, We've lived in this neighborhood for two years and no one has ever invited us to do anything. You're the first ones to invite us. And, and I still have a great relationship with those men even though I no longer live in that neighborhood. In fact, a couple months ago, we were, uh, if you remember John and Jackie Escalera, they, they moved uh, out of our neighborhood over to Japan. He's in the military. And we were having our small group. Our small group had multiplied, branched back in January, and they were getting ready to move. So our two small groups got together, and we were just hanging out in the living room, and uh, we were just all talking. And Jackie said, you know, I remember the first time I met Amanda outside. Our kids were playing, and, and she invited us over for dinner. And then we at, at dinner, she invited us to River Rock, and we just came to River Rock. And someone else spoke up, and they said, hang on a second. We met Amanda and the kids at the park, and she invited us over for dinner. And then they invited us to River Rock, and now we're at River Rock. And then, like, everyone in the group was like, well, hold on a second. We met Amanda and Charlie through Meetup, and they invited us over for dinner, and then they invited us to church. And so now we're at River Rock. And then what, what was really awesome was one of the first people who said that we'd invited over for dinner and then to church, someone else said, well, I remember Greg and Nicole invited us to dinner, and then they invited us to church, and here we are. So over and over and over again, we've gotten to see that God moves and God works, and so many of our neighbors, uh, we've gotten to connect with and build these deep, meaningful relationships, and to see some of them come to faith in Jesus Christ, to be baptized here at River Rock. Because we shared a meal with them and we took the time to listen to them and to listen to their story. I want to challenge us this week. I want to challenge us as a church family. Would you begin every single day just praying, God, would you make me a blessing? God, would you make me a blessing today? Give me the opportunity to bless someone else. And then listen as you go throughout the day. Pay attention as you go, out, go throughout the day and see what opportunity God gives you. And then I want to challenge you, take some time to invite someone out to a meal or over to your house for a meal, sit down with them, ask a good question, and listen. Because I believe if we do, it is a very real possibility that we could see every man, woman, and child in Georgetown experience the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. Will you join Jesus on his mission? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we understand that your desire was to bless us and for us to pass on that blessing to others. Lord, I pray this morning as we 
prepare uh, for communion, that we would remember all that, that we have been forgiven. We would remember your sacrifice and the greatest blessing that we, had re- we have received and that we would desire to pass that on to others. Father, would you be with us this, this morning that we would understand that simply by beginning with prayer, by listening, and by eating, that we can be a blessing to others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, this, this morning is the last Sunday of the month, and at River Rock, this is when we celebrate communion. Communion is a special time of remembrance for those who are followers of Jesus to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Um, in just a moment, we're going to hold the elements for now. Um, we read in 1 Corinthians about Paul's instructions for, for the Lord's Supper. And after he gives instructions, he, he encourages us that we would take time to examine ourselves before we take communion. That we would understand that that. We need to be sure that we're receiving this in a place where we're in right relationship with God and right relationship with the people around us. And so Paul's encouragement is that we would spend time examining ourselves to see, Lord, is there something in my life that I need to bring bring before you? Is there a relationship with someone else that I need to make sure is right before I, I come and I remember your sacrifice on my behalf? And this morning, I want to, as we do that, I want us to think about the word repentance. You see, the gospel calls us to repentance. The gospel calls us to three things. It calls us to repent, to believe in Jesus Christ, and to begin following Jesus as our Savior. And I think so often, we don't really understand what that word repent means, and repent Repentance is simply turning away from our sin and turning towards Christ. And it involves radical heart and mind change. And the reality is that repentance is not just something that happens at the moment of salvation, but in the life of a disciple, repentance should be a daily thing that we would look at our lives and we would see where in our lives our life doesn't match up with the Word of God and where He calls us to be and that we would choose to change the things about us, the the things that we think and the things that we're doing in our heart attitudes, that we would choose to change those to bring them in line with God's word. Scripture calls that repentance. And I love in in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 and 11, Paul says, Now I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance not to be regretted and leading to salvation, but worldly grief produces death. For consider how much diligence this very thing, this very grieving as God wills has produced in you. What a desire to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice. In every way you showed yourselves pure in this matter. So Paul has confronted the Corinthians with their sin. And what we see is not that they're guilt, that they would walk around feeling miserable. But what Paul sees is that their guilt led to repentance. And there's a big difference between guilt and conviction. 
See, God's desire is not that we would walk around feeling beat up because we know as followers of Jesus Christ, that is not our identity. Our identity is as victors over sin, not those who are slaves to sin, but a new identity in Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about repentance, what we're saying is we need to come before the Lord and say, God, I acknowledge that this part of my life is not right and I can't fix it on my own. I'm depending on your son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice. I'm depending on your Holy Spirit to change me.